Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Yeah, uh, I met Jeff. We were trying to figure out when exactly it was, and uh, I'll never forget, like, one of the first conversations with Jeff, uh, probably not the very first, but one of the first was, uh, we're sitting in, in Hungary, we're trying to literally, like, survive, like, our eighth, you know, cappuccino for the day, trying to figure out how we're going to make it through, and he's talking to me, we're talking, he just kind of looks at me and stares at me, I don't know if you remember this or not, but he goes, dude, you should, you should try out this missions thing, like, you could, you could do this. And I didn't tell him this, but I'm like, man, you're, you're crazy. I was like, ha, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And he goes, I'm like thinking, man, you're, you're absolutely nuts. Well, here we are. Um, we're trying out the missions thing. And uh, little did I know, uh, Jeff was uh, actually, he kind of got me started thinking about it. And I'll get into some of that, that story today. I was looking around, and man, I, I recognize you know, quite a few of you guys. Uh, it was really cool and really encouraging. I've, I mean, I've, I've served on the mission field with, uh, with countless of you. I've been with Kale countless times at Hungary. Uh, we've been to New Mexico with, with Craig and the team, then back to Hungary again. And it's really encouraging to, man, look out and, and see friendly faces. Uh, we've been to a bunch of different churches, and some of the, some of the faces weren't friendly. And so I appreciate, I appreciate you know, seeing you guys. And, uh, yeah, come find me afterwards, especially if we've, man, if we've served together. Like, this is cool, getting together and, 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 and you know, hanging out, talking about missions. And, and man, hopefully, hopefully we'll be an encouragement today, as you guys have, have been an encouragement to me uh, throughout the years. And so... As we get started today, I first want to introduce a couple of people that are really special to me, all right? So obviously, so I have my wife with me, and so I'm going to have my wife stand, so stand, Lacey. She loves this, yeah, so this is Lacey, yeah, 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 yeah. As, as Jeff said, uh, Lacey's been to Hungary like six or seven times in her life. She's way cooler than I am, obviously better looking, way more spiritual, um, all that. So um, yeah, this is my wife, Lacey. Uh, again, you'll get to know her. Um, hopefully throughout the rest of the day in the service. And then also I'm going to have Jory stand. So this is Jory. So everyone welcome Jory. He's not quite as cool as Lacey. He's not quite as cool as me either, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but So Wildwood sends out missions uh, in teams, uh, which has been uh, a huge blessing and encouragement to, to Lacey and myself. Uh, even We haven't even gotten to the field yet, and it's been an encouragement. So we try to send out what we call Paul and a Timothy uh, together, where we'll go and minister and and do missions and do work and plant churches together. Uh, you double your opportunities. Uh, you know, we have four people instead of two. Uh, we, uh, we have accountability. Uh, we have a partner uh, when we get lonely. So, yeah, there's a lot of practical reasons why we send uh, missions and teams. And so Jory and his wife, Jessica, and their two little boys. So uh, Jessica couldn't make it today. She's taken care of. They have a six-week-old, and they have a two-year-old. So their lives are a little hectic right now. Uh, that's uh, Colson is a two-year-old and Parker is the uh, six-week-old. We also have, man, four-month-old, yeah, four-month-old, four-month-old, uh, Jack. Uh, Jack is with us. You want to talk about cute, guys. I mean, I'm telling you, uh, this kid is the cutest thing I've ever seen. So make sure you guys, uh, we'll, we'll have Jack on display out in the back for you as you walk out. And uh, if you don't like what I got to say, you'll at least get to see a cute baby today. So um, we got, got, got that going for us. Uh, so what we try to do um, typically is we try to answer um, when we share missions, few of, a few of the main questions that we get, all right? I'm going to have um, them start the slideshow so you, you don't necessarily have to stare at me the entire time. But in the background, you'll see just a, a brief, quick slideshow of, of Ireland because, guys, I'm telling you, Ireland is amazing. It's beautiful, and I want you guys to be able to see some of that. Um, and so we try to share, the first thing we try to answer is, you know, why you? Or how did this, how did missions, how did Ireland come about um, in your life specifically? And then we also try to answer, 
why Ireland? Like, what is, you know, what's God doing in Ireland specifically? And so I'm briefly going to touch on, on those two questions, and then I'll discuss the third one, uh, the third point that we kind of want to talk about today in just a few minutes. So the, the first thing I always try to talk about is how did Ireland or how did missions come up in your life? Uh, people are always asking, you know, well, did you have a desire, you know, were you a teenager and you threw the stick in the fire and you committed to, you know, going to, no, that was not my story. Um, as a matter of fact, I grew up a, a preacher's kid. My dad's been a pastor ever since I can remember. And uh, man, I saw some, I saw some of the outwardly, some of the most spiritual people. I got to see them behind closed doors and what they were really like. And I'll be honest with you, when I saw them interact with my dad behind closed doors, that really turned me off to ministry. Um, people are ugly sometimes. And so uh, long story short, um, I became bitter and, you know, all of that Christian teenager stuff was going on in my life. And I, I literally remember out loud saying to my dad, saying to God, I will never be involved in full-time ministry. There's no way I'm going to put my family through those types of things. Again, fast forward about, you know, 15, 20 years, and God's sense of humor is on display again. Because about three years ago, I became vocationally full-time at the church, and now I'm going to be a missionary. So, yeah, you know, things didn't quite work out how I had planned. Um, however, what God started to do was he started to, to lead us in a certain direction. So I'll, I'll briefly explain how missions kind of got brought up in our lives. And, and most times people will ask me this question, and they'll kind of wink, like, okay, give me your secret here. Like, the college people will come to me at, at Wildwood and be like, okay, how did you know this was the, really what God wants you to do? And a lot of times I feel like people are looking for something like, some, again, magic recipe, some secret sauce to figuring out the will of God for your life. And, I, like, there was no visions. There was no dream. God didn't strike me with lightning and, you know, say go to Ireland. He didn't say, no. Okay. Let me explain to you very briefly, quickly, the process that I simply went through. So I was about 24 years old. I married my wife, and I moved up to Wildwood. I moved up to Lambertville. And uh, I met a dude. I met, I met a guy. He's a little crazy. He's a little insane. His name's Brett Bartlett. But, and however, the one thing that really kind of got me moving in the right direction was Brett's passion. You can say a lot of things about the guy, but you cannot say he is not passionate about God's word, defending it and preaching it. And man, that endeared me to him from the very beginning. We didn't always get along at the, at the start. Uh, there were some rough things going on here and there, and, but man... I always respected the fact that he could defend his Bible and he loved it more than anything else in this world. And that got me started. I, I wanted this in my life. And that got me started down a track. I was explaining this uh, to, the, to the well, the, the, the college and career class last night. That got me started down a track that I didn't even realize I was going down. And until recently, I didn't even understand what had happened. And let me just briefly explain to you how God brought about missions in our lives. So I met Brett. His passion was endearing to me, and so therefore I started reading my Bible. Here's this guy, and he's doing these, th he's studying his Bible, and I started reading my Bible. I started studying it for the first time in my life. Guys, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago I actually read through my Bible for the first time ever, and that's sad, but nonetheless, here we are, and what had happened was over a period of time, I wound up falling in love with the Word of God. Fell in love with God's words. I, I couldn't get enough of it. Reading it, studying it, praying over it. Then, naturally, the next logical step happened where I, f I fell in love with God himself. You, you fall in love with God's words, you read about him, and you cannot help but fall in love with God. And then, over the course of the next few years, what God did was, you fall in love with God's words, you fall in love with God, 
And then you fall in love with what God loves, right? And what happened was I started falling in love with people that I used to be bitter towards. I I couldn't be bothered by them. And now all I want to do is, man, go out and, and win these people for Christ. And that was never part of my life. I simply, again... I started in Wildwood, and as, as Jeff mentioned, I, like, Brett asked me to lead the youth group, and I did the youth group. And then he asked me to, to lead the college class, and I did the college class. And then he asked me to, to go to the juvenile detention center, and I went to the juvenile detention center. And then he asked me to scrub toilets, and then I scrubbed toilets. And then he asked me to straighten the chairs so that they're equidistant to the back, and that's the Brett terminology for making sure they're absolutely insanely perfect at 2 a.m. at the church. Okay, I just simply like did what I knew to do, guys. Like, there wasn't any secret recipe. I showed up to church. I showed up to Bible study. The greatest ability is dependability, right? And man, you could say a lot of things about me, but you couldn't say I wasn't there. You could say a lot of things about my wife and I and our relationship, but you couldn't say we weren't there. We were always there. We were always serving. And this, like, honestly, this led to, to us being prepared for missions. We, did, we didn't even know it. We did not even know what God was doing uh, with us. We show up at a Chinese restaurant one day. And we had, Lacey and I had discussed, like, the possibility of being missionaries. And so we're at this Chinese restaurant and uh, sitting across the table from Brett and Kim. And I get up to go to the bathroom. I come back out. And Brett is scribbling on a napkin with a pen, like, ferociously. And don't ever find yourself in a situation where you have a pen, a napkin, and Brett Bartlett all in the same room. Because you will wind up on the mission fields, I feel like. Uh, Because what he did was, while I was in the bathroom, Lacey had explained to him we had been discussing the possibility of God moving in our lives in this area. And so he wrote out a 5, 10, 15, 20-year plan on the napkin in the Chinese restaurant. And it all started with getting a couple to Ireland. And he asked. And I I explained it like last night. Like We're kind of like a sponge. It's kind of how I've seen my life in ministry. God kept ringing, and you think you, you, you know you think you can't do anything more, right? And God kept ringing, and there's drops, and the drops keep dropping, and there's more water in the sponge, and and next thing you know, like you, you think you finally okay, I'm no, there's nothing else I can do, and God comes knocking, and God comes ringing, and the love of Christ constraineth you, and He rings us rings us out over and over again to the point where we, <laughs> I kind of feel like Brett Brett approached it and said, hey, these guys have said yes to everything else. Man, why not see if they say yes to, yes to being missionaries? And so we took the time to pray. We took the time to consider what God would have for us. And here we are. Here we are, committed to full-time ministry. Again, simply doing what God would have us do led us to the point where we can now be sent out as God has prepared us through the ministry uh, of Wildwood Baptist Church. And, and man, um, one thing has always worked out for me. There's a lot of things that have worked out, but one main thing I've noticed is that's Man, submission to my local church and its authority. And when we approached it originally, we said, hey, we'll, we'll go wherever. We'll do whatever you want. And that starts with, with getting a couple over in Ireland. And so that will be, uh, that's kind of how, uh, how Ireland came about in our lives and uh, just simply doing uh, what God wanted. All right, so the next question we try to answer is why Ireland? And, and really quickly, I am going to kind of get into some things that God has done specifically in Ireland, specifically through us. So we went in March, and you've seen a lot of these pictures are from our trip in March. We were there when, you know, President Trump banned travel. Like that Wednesday, he goes, yeah, you're not, like, like, you're not flying back from the, you know, from Europe. 
And uh, he was a little more confusing than he was helpful, in my opinion. But we were kind of uh, freaking out a little bit there. And uh, we were there in March. And, and while we were there, just, I just quickly want to share some practical things that are going on. Twelve years ago, uh, Wildwood took its first trip, uh, first missions trip. And uh, the first mission trip we ever went on was uh, we ministered to Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. I wasn't there. Again, my wife, my wife was there. You're going to see a, see a trend in, in our lives. My wife was there, and uh, she was on the corners of Trinity College 12 years ago you know, doing the good test is what we did. And we actually led some people to Christ. And Brett preached at a church about 40 minutes south of, of Dublin in a, in a little place called Bray. So fast forward 12 years. You guys are going to think I'm making this. This is just another crazy missionary story that, that they're making up. I, if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? Okay. So we, we visit Bray on our trip in March. And uh, Jory and I and, and Lacey are, and Jessica are in the bathroom, and there we're getting coffee. And Brett wanders across the street. He runs into a guy, and they're talking back and forth, like, you know, ferociously. And then, like, all of a sudden, we walk out of the coffee shop, and we see them start taking off walking. We didn't even know what's going on. We walk up the street around the corner. Again, long story short, Brett ran into the pastor of the church that we had ministered with and Brett had preached at in Bray 12 years prior. Um, so obviously, the wheels are turning, things are going, and he reveals to us he's looking to leave the field. Uh, he's looking to get out you know, sooner rather than later. He's looking for someone to take over the ministry, all of these types of things. And you, know, you cannot say that that was coincidence. I, I mean, you cannot say that that was not God in some way moving um, and getting us, again, getting us moving in, in Ireland specifically at, at different locations, we don't know how that's going to play out. We don't know if we are going to pastor a church. Um, we've been trying to keep in contact with the gentleman over there. He's been very hard to get a hold of. They have not met one time since, since COVID started in March. Um, they haven't been meeting. Um, he hasn't been speaking or preaching. The church was small to begin with. We could see maybe 10, 12 people um, being around. So that will more than likely look like a discipleship type of a ministry. We will travel down uh, to the southern, uh, southern Dublin uh, in a city called Bray, and we'll try to meet some of those on an individual basis and try to maybe disciple them, try to get that work maybe going back uh, under our ministry. And so we'll kind of see what that has to, has to play out. But we're excited about the opportunity um, that, that God has for us there. Another, another really practical reason that we chose um, Ireland and, and as we kind of started talking about things was, man, they speak English. And I speak English really good, all right? So, see, where's my English, guys? All right, we got, you got the joke, all right? Okay. Um, you know, poor Kale and, and Brooke. Guys, I've been to Hungary, and I know all about the language. Man, I feel for you guys. <laughs> like, um, I'm really glad that I don't have to learn Hungarian. Um, so more power to you guys. I'll be praying for you. I've been praying for you. So, you know, they do speak English, which makes it very easy for us to get over there and communicate right away. We don't have to go through language school, all of that type of stuff. And that is, like, that's a practical consideration that we took into play. Um, we, again, we go in teams. We're going to be tent makers. So Jory and I are going to go over and we're going to, um, to, to get jobs. There's a very specific reason that we're going to get jobs. And I'll kind of talk about this as I get into some of the, uh, some of the message today. But we're going to... Man, we're going to get out and we're going to work. Um, we're going to be, man, a lot of times we're just going to be one of the guys. And, you know, sometimes I get the feeling like American missionaries show up to these places and, and you know, they have these weird experiences with the locals where, hey, you, don't, you know, you're not working or whatever it may be. Again, that's it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing to be fully supported. But, you know, you try to minister to these people and they're looking at you like, man, this is kind of weird. Like, why is this American guy here? He's not working. He can't relate to anything. And so we're really going to try to relate to those types of people. We're going to try to get jobs, use that as a platform 
uh, to share our ministry. And again, uh, we'll talk more about that uh, in just a minute. And then one final thing. So our son, I mentioned our son, um, was born about four months ago. And when he was born, he had a, a rare birth defect. Uh, it's uh, called gastroschisis, where he was born with his bowels outside of his body. Okay, uh, So this is our first son, our first kid. You know, that comes down the pike, and we had literally just said, hey, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go be missionaries. Uh, I think that was like October 12th. We told Brett we would do that. October 13th, I think Lacey told me she was pregnant. And then like 10, 12 weeks later, we get the diagnosis. So we're, uh, you know, kind of, you know, a little scared, a little freaking out. And so we, we, we really determined, and we've sat down and prayed about, hey, God, yes, we want you to heal him. We want this, you know, to be, you know, successful surgery and all these things and nothing wrong with the birth. And, but, Father, if you, like, if there's one thing, give us an opportunity to use this specific trial. And it was, like, it was the, like, one of the biggest things we've gone through at the time, right? Like, Father, give us an opportunity to use this. And so, Lacey is doing research online. We don't know anything about this, you know, birth defect or whatever. She's doing research. She comes across an organization. It's called Avery's Angels. And, and basically, she reached out to them, and they, set, they, they partner you up with one uh, individual who answers questions, helps you out, um, all of those types of things. And Lacey met that lady, and she goes, hey, you know, I would like to be helpful. Lacey, you know, was, I, can, I think I can offer some help to mothers in, in need and single mothers specifically, really. So long story short, Lacey is now... Um, Lacey's now a, a leader in Michigan where she will have opportunities to minister to, uh, to young, single ladies in need of help during this time of crisis in their life. Like the, the hospital pairs her up with a specific individual that she can minister to. All right. So she's also looking online and uh, she sees that there is a need. Like they want to get this organization, this thing started in some very specific states and in some very specific places um, outside of the country, outside of America, and you'll never guess where they really want to get this started. Ireland. Ireland. Lacey reached out to them. They are actually going to help her get into some hospitals and start partnering with them, ministering to young ladies in a trying time with a lot of questions going around that are in desperate need of Christ and of someone just to be there and love them, help them, and answer questions. You're not telling me that was just a coincidence. You're not telling me that wasn't God. And I can't tell you how excited we are to have Lacey be able to go, and we will obviously help and be involved. Jessica will be heavily involved in that. We are excited, stoked out of our minds to see how God is going to use this specific thing uh, in the nation of Ireland as she gets to build from the ground up something that we feel like God can truly use for people in one of the most difficult times in their life. And so that's kind of, again, we've seen some really cool things start to take place in regards to why Ireland uh, specifically in our lives. I, I would love to talk to you guys more about them. A lot of times people will ask uh, questions like about prayer requests, like what can we pray for you? All right, so I'm going to give you guys just quickly some prayer requests, um, some things that we, we need to, to have take place or to happen. And the first of those would be jobs, all right? So the main way that you get into the country is, is a job. You get a job offer, then you can apply for the specific visa and stamp that we want. So when we get a job offer, that will really start the process. So people also ask, when are you guys planning to go? 
originally we were planning to go June of 2021. And then the world flipped. Like the world kind of went crazy, right? And so we don't, like, like I think Kale has experienced some of this. We don't even know what, like, what the next month holds. We don't know what the next three to six months hold in regards to Americans even being able to travel, in regards to Americans being able to go into the European Union. All that to say, we're trying to get there as soon as we can. More than likely, we, w we see you know, possibilities of the end of this year, December of 2020 or January of 2021. That's when we're looking to go. Please be in prayer that we would be sensitive to God's leading and, 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 and be willing to move when he has us move. Um, you know, you tell family one thing, and then you got to tell them, hey, we're actually moving that up six months. Uh, that's not always the, the most fun conversation to have, you know. Um, because, again, things are crazy. Uh, things are going on, and we just want to, man, we don't want to miss out on an opportunity that God has, like, to even allow us into the country. Um, another thing is you can pray for passports, like for the boys. Um, so we obviously have, you know, three younger uh, boys, and they all need passports. Again, I, I never thought I'd be praying for passports to go through, but here we are praying for passports to go through. Um, pray for that. The immigration uh, process uh, will be, you know, hectic. Again, you guys have all been going through this with KO as a body, and so um, pray for that process, that it would run smoothly. Uh, really emotional and, and spiritual preparation. Uh, Doing this has, has been interesting. Preparing our, ourselves um, spiritually and emotionally uh, has been trying. It's like it's hard. Uh, you're doing the one thing Satan doesn't want you to do. And man, I'm telling you, life gets a little crazy. Your, your kid gets a birth defect. Uh, you, you know, your, your wife's aunt gets sick. And, and all, I mean, you go down the list. Uh, so pray for the emotional and spiritual preparation. And then obviously pray for us as we leave family. And not like... Nobody ever talked to me about this. Not just physical family, but we're leaving Wildwood. Wildwood has been family for, for me, for us, for years. And leaving a church family, a thriving ministry uh, that we've been excited to be a part of is a difficult thing, man. And, dude, Kale's going through the same thing. Pray for us. Pray for him. Pray for those that have to leave the body. Like, a lot of times we take the body for granted. We take church for granted. We take a, a pastor that preaches the word for granted. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal to us. Pray for us. Thank you, guys. Okay, so that is a little bit about us. That's a little bit about why Ireland. And, and finally, I, I'll try to quickly go through the final question that I think may be the most important is, is how. All right? How are you going to get this done, big man? I've asked that question myself over the, over the, over the years. I grew up in a church that had countless missionaries. I met Man, hundreds, seriously, hundreds of missionaries growing up. They were all friendly. They said all the right things. They had really cool facts about their country. They even showed really cool pictures with the snakes and the, you know, the gorillas and lions and all of that jazz, which is cool, right? That is, however, like, think about what I'm saying. A man presenting his work, and that's what I remember about every single missionary that came through. Um, there were things missing in my life as a teenager, like, you know, and as a young adult, personal evangelism, Bible reading. I would always, I mean, I was always like, man, maybe, maybe this guy will show me how he's actually going to, like, get, get the job done for Christ. And man, I was always left, like, lacking. I was always left, like, empty. They, they never got to the how they were actually going to accomplish what God had given them to accomplish. 
man, there was always some really cool stuff that they presented. Don't get me wrong, but substantively, man, they were always falling short. I always felt shortchanged. And as we, as we started on this circuit, on deputation, whatever it is, I really purposed in my, in my mind, in my life, to kind of take some time, the majority of the time, and explain to you all, explain to our, uh, our churches that we go to, how are we going to accomplish this? And not just, this is, the, like, this is the best part, not just how are we going to plant churches, how are we going to lead people to Christ in Dublin, Ireland, but how can you do the same thing here? I want to offer some substance today from the Word of God. Like, the pictures are cool, and that's, like, that's great. It's a beautiful place, and, and all of that's awesome. But there's got to be something more from the man that you're sending out, you're helping send out, right? You're helping support. I want, the, I want the support not to just to be financially, but I want us to be supportive of each other, like, in what God's doing in our lives and what he's doing here in New Philly, just like he's going to do over in Dublin. All right. So, the first thing that I want to talk about, I'm going to talk about a couple of things. And I'm gonna, going to give you, first of all, our reasoning or our methodology behind going into the world and preaching the gospel. And then I'm going to talk about the skill of getting that done. So, all of this, like again, I mentioned just simply doing what I, what I knew to do. Going to Bible studies, going to church, being discipled through the pulpit. All of this simply being a culmination of things that I learned as I got into God's word and as I began to study and, and as I began to listen to the, to the spirit-filled man of God in my life. This is kind of where we, again, what we saw God teaching us and leading us to do. And I think you'll find these things interesting. About four years ago, Brett began a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. He, he, titled the church, he titled the series, A Church in Ruins. Okay, so we had this gigantic banner in the back of our church, Church in Ruins, that everybody saw as they, as they entered um, the building. And I was expecting something interesting from Brett, right? You know, you get into chapter 7, chapter 5, there's like, you know, incest, there's, you know, adultery. All of these types of things are going on. I'm thinking, man, this is going to get crazy up in here. However... It was how the series began that forever stuck with me. So how Brett introduced the series was what it was that really kind of stuck with me and has continued to stick with me uh, even today. And so I want you guys to open your Bibles and turn with me to kind of a weird place to start with personal evangelism. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10. I love to hear the Bibles turning. I... Man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's sweet. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The church in Corinth is essentially the New Testament representation of just exactly how far the Laodicean church had already fallen. Already. And you advance that ball down the field 2,000 years ago, or 2,000 years, and you, can you imagine Paul penning a letter to the church at New Philly? Or the church at Lamberville, Michigan? The words of Paul are penned in frustration. Frustration of open sin false doctrines, schism in the body, and a misunderstanding and misuse of gifts. Like those addressed in Hebrews, the Corinthians still need milk. 
yet they should be cutting their teeth on strong, strong meat by, by this point. This church is messed up, friends. What's so fascinating, however, is how Paul goes about correcting these issues of carnality. He begins, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I beseech you, I'm begging you, brethren, that ye all speak the same thing. There be no divisions. Ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And he hears from Chloe, man, there's contentions among you. Paul begins this letter to the church wrecked by carnality by addressing the issue of unity. It is the focus of human relationships that Paul spends the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. And friends, you name the sin and carnal behavior, and the Corinthian church had it going on. Gross sexual sin, demonic activity, disobedience, murmuring, gossiping, disunity. Friends, this church had it all in all the wrong ways. And Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty, where the rubber meets the road in the first chapter as he addresses the root of these issues at, at Corinth. That root cause of all their carnality being that they do not know how to build biblical relationships. Left to his own thoughts and surmisings, man would never have guessed that to be the origin and nastiness of this church. Yet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that is exactly what Paul is telling us is the problem. And when you let that begin to sink in, in your mind, and see just how much attention Paul gives to the subject, you almost have to ask yourself, how in the world can this be the case? And what could be the answer? Other than Paul understood something that the church has missed for years, for centuries. Paul understood Satan's attack on the church was going to be to render it irrelevant through cultural ignorance and social incompetence. This manifesting itself outwardly in two ways. An inability to get along with each other and an inability or clumsiness in getting to know new people. Folks, the reality is if either of these two things exist, there will be a short in our ability to win the lost. Practically speaking, our ability to win lost souls, whether it is in Dublin, Ireland, whether it is in Columbus, Ohio, or New Philly, Ohio, it's going to come down to our spirit-filled aptitude and ability to put on display for this lost world the wisdom and power of God through the relationships with your family and with your local church, and the wisdom and power of God in your capacity to meet new people, and doing both with excellence and consistency. You know, the world loves to talk about how sensitive it is, right? It brags about it all the time. How progressive they are. How empathetic they are. How compassionate. Their psychology, their education, their enlightenment. But for all that, for all that talk, the world and culture around us will concede this one point. They do not know how to make human relationships work. If you truly listen, have you listened to the lost? They will tell you. They do not know how to get along with each other. You go to the homeroom at school. You sit in the bleachers at the high school basketball game. You go to your gym. You go to your job. You go to the coffee shop. You stand in line at the grocery store. And you hear that my spouse is always on my case. My husband never listens. My boss is unfair. My coworkers are annoying. My kids are disrespectful. My parents are too demanding. I don't like any of my classmates. They'll admit it all to you. Are you listening? 
They spill out before you that, you that they do not know how to have human relationships and are completely miserable and lost in the ones that they have tried to make work. And of course, of course this is their response. Because the heart of man always has a void without the presence of God. Because only God can fulfill our needs. Only God can fulfill our desires. Only through God can we find contentment. And it's only through a contentment formed in that foundational relationship in the Christian's life, that relationship with God, that they can have a right relationship with man. That secret, the secret that we know, that you know, and everyone craves is biblical Christianity is actually what your boss, your coworker, your barista, your gym partner, your classmate, your grocery clerk is actually searching for, friends. You know what? I bet that they would find that attractive. I bet they would enjoy that. If only, if only somebody somewhere would share that with them. If only. Ireland doesn't need another Christian who is more concerned with his schedule, his comfort, his needs, his desires. And friends, New Philly doesn't need that either. They need someone who can put on display true biblical relationships and what that can mean in their lives. What we found in scripture and what is being played out in our churches and personalized at this very moment is that at the heart of biblical personal evangelism and the success of worldwide missions is the Christian's effectiveness and consistent ability in their own personal relationships and the simple exploitation of the fact that this world cannot function within any of the parameters set forth for success in their homes, in their workplace, social gatherings, or any other place that they must find success in relations to others. John 13, 35. Turn with me, if you will, or simply follow along as I read it. Everyone knows the verse, John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How? If ye have love one towards another, not by your amazing doctrine and how eloquent and smart we are, not by our conservative political stance and staunch defense of our liberty. Not by wearing or not wearing a mask and arguing about it on Facebook so everyone can see. No. Stop. How will this world recognize true followers of Christ? By our ability to get along with and love one another. The world is constantly watching. The world is waiting to see what you will do. And God has given them that right based on this verse. They have the right to judge our legitimacy on how profi- based on how proficient you are at human relationships with each other. As they examine how you interact with your wife. How your kids behave. As they listen to you talk about your church family behind their backs. What conclusion do you think they are coming to? at how legitimate your Christianity is. When we consider how we treat the ones that we claim to love the most, think about that. Is it any wonder why we're losing? Is it any wonder why the church, the church has failed 
this world. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone. All right, so, so this is Christ in the garden, right? He's praying for you and for me. For all those that would accept in the future. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. There they are. That they all may be one. That they all may be one. Human relationships. Unity. Dwelling peaceably. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they may also be one in us. Unity. In Christ. How? Why? Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Christ ups the ante on this, doesn't he? Our reputation is not the only thing at stake. He reveals, to, he reveals the world now gets to judge the veracity of God's claims. They get to judge Christ's deity based on how you conduct yourself and your human relationships with those that are sitting next to you right here. If our coworkers. Friends and lost of our circles do not think we are legitimate followers of God, and they do not think that Christ, Jesus Christ, was God, then we cannot win this lost world. The world increasingly denies the simple existence, let alone the veracity of God, right? Let me ask you a question. Based on your abilities to conduct human relationships, based on your relationships with those closest to you, those in your church, those in your family, is it any wonder the world has rejected him? Is it any wonder the world is in the state that it's in? Oftentimes they look at me and they look at you and they, they look at Christians and they see men and women who offer them nothing of any real substantive difference. You are representing God out there, man. You're not the only one at stake here. Your Savior is. Does that not fire you up? Does that not make you want to have a healthy human relationship? How you treat your wife reflects on God. What you say about your pastor and about your church family speaks volumes about your Savior. What are, you, what are we doing? We can't get along with each other, and we expect the world to desire that? Man, I wouldn't want any part of Christianity either. If I were part of this lost world and I saw what goes on in a church and I listened to a Christian. We all know the passage about the great commandment, right? That most important thing that you can do. It's on that which all the law and prophets hang. If we do this, we've done it all. It's to love God and to love others, right? That foundational personal relationship with God pushing us. Allowing us to have those key critical relationships with man. Lost. Born again. Doesn't matter. If we cannot do this, the basics. There is no function of the Christian life that we can effectively accomplish. Found in favor with God and man. Now, you couple this great commandment with the great commission found in the last part of Matthew chapter 28. To preach the gospel, right? Baptize those, those saved souls. Disciple them teaching them to observe all things that are written therein, and then you send them out to do the same. The Great Commission. You, you put these two together, and what you have is the very, very simple outline of the Christian life, right? This Great Commandment being the way we fulfill the Great Commission, the two being inexorably bound. As a matter of fact, as you walk out of Wildwood, we make it really easy for everyone. You can see it as you head out into your field. 
Love God. Love people. Save the world. Is that hard? That sounds pretty easy, right? Is it? Why, okay, why haven't we been doing it then? And, and let's quickly point out who's missing from this picture, right? Who's left out of the equation? It's me. It's you. I don't fit in here. My life is hid with Christ, remember? I'm buried, crucified with him. Is that not the point of all this? At the end of the day, the crux of our relationship with Christ and the realizing power that he has given us lies within our abilities to empty ourselves of ourselves, our desires, our wants, ourself. It is God, it is others, it is the world. That's it. And for years, I tried to insert myself into this equation. I tried the only way that I would even bother to attempt personal evangelism of any type is if it benefited me. I would only show interest in other people, human relationships, my relationship with God, when it fit into my schedule. And as I penciled in God, I would always find a way to flip that around and use that eraser more often than not. The reality of my life and many of our lives is this. If we're waiting for God, others in this world to be convenient for me, I am never going to do what I'm called to do. Never going to evangelize, no matter the method that you use. Friends, it goes like this, and without this order in your life, you will be unsuccessful at the one thing that you were left here to do. God, others, the world, even at your expense. This must be the origin of our understanding. This must be where we start. This is our methodology. This is our reasoning and motivation behind everything that we do in Ireland, in Lambertville. This is how we are going to win Ireland for Christ. This is how New Philly can be won for Christ. Friends, we have the great privilege. And man, great privilege, yes. However, great responsibility to take seriously your call. Not your neighbors, not your wives, not your friends. Your call to personal evangelism, to seriously engage in effective human relationships to win this lost world. That's how we're going to get it done. Okay. Sounds simple, Eric. You made it sound really simple. Now, if it's so simple, then okay, what does that look like? How can we make this a reality in our lives? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked because I got the answer for you, all right? Next, we're going to talk about the skill, the skill of building personal relationships. And quickly, I, I want to share a story with you, and we'll, we'll move through this last point quickly. There, one of Brett's favorites athlete, favorite athlete is uh, Steve Eiserman. He's a big hockey player. Um, he's a Detroit Red Wing. You guys may have heard of him, you may not. Um, he tells a story, and I'll never forget it, man. This is, it, it encapsulates a lot of interesting things in the Christian life, and I want to share it with you. So there, there was a playoff game, and one of Steve Eiserman's teammates, his name is Igor, Igor Larionov, he, he scores the last goal in, in triple overtime, and he, they win, they win uh, the series against the Carolina Hurricanes, and there's a press conference afterwards, and the Hurricanes coach gets up, and he's ticked. He said, it was all luck. They just got lucky. Steve Eiserman, the captain of that Detroit Red Wings team, gets up and says, he responds to the coach. I want you to listen to this unsaved man and how he responds. Being in the right place at the right time can be luck. But in hockey, it hardly ever is. In hockey, it's a matter of courage, hustle, heart, effort, and consistency. 
And because it requires all of that, it is necessarily a skill. Being in the right place at the right time will always look like luck to those who do not understand what they are looking at. Some people say, I would rather be lucky than good. Now pay attention to this. Champions don't think that way. I would rather be good. Good has the same results as luck. But consistently, Igor is neither good nor lucky. Igor is great. Man, I want to play with that dude. I want to be that guy's teammate. And you know what? I don't just want to be good for God. I don't just want to be lucky, what the world would consider lucky, what Christianity considers lucky. You want to know what I want? I want to be great for God. I want to be a champion for Christ. Take a moment and consider the character of this unsaved man who thinks this way about a sport in comparison to men and women who have the Holy Spirit, the preserved word of God and a true purpose in life. Yet as a rule, they display a pathetic apathy about their mandate to love others, love the world, love God and save the world. Yes, the saying is true. A blind squirrel does find an acorn every now and then along the way. However, lest we be satisfied with those few nuts along the way we happen to run into, friends, I would implore you today to consider making your passion, nay, your skill, that of making personal relationships with the lost as we seek to perfect that skill in our lives of being in the right place at the right time with the right people and with the right spirit. At least as much as unsaved athletes have made it their passion and skill. Quickly, I want to give you four key positions to understand. I'm simply going to give these to you. Four key positions to understand about the celestial skill building of personal evangelism. Number one, position number one. You got to have the right heart. Position two, you got to be in the right place. Position three, it's got to be the right time. And position four, it's got to be the right person. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? You must understand that what we are engaging in is not done by accident. Churches will not be planted in Ireland or anywhere by happenstance or randomly running into people wave as we wave the Bible around and they just approach us and ask us, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? That's not how it happens, friends. It cannot be a matter of sitting up in our tree stand with a gun ready, waiting for that, that big buck to come into your crosshairs, and you, you pull the trigger, and you mount that thing, you put it on the wall, right? And then you act like the biggest hunter in the land for the next 20 years, and you got the one buck hanging on your wall? <laughs> That's not what we want to do. We want to be intentionally plotting and strategizing our lives around making our lives and what we do all about fulfilling that great commission. You're not adding it in. You're making it your life. John chapter 15 and verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. God desires that you bear much fruit and that it remains. Have you ever noticed that with God, with Paul, the Bible? Things are taken to the extreme. Bear much fruit. Bear remaining fruit. Preach the whole counsel of God. Go into all the world. Teach all nations. Pray without ceasing. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
Folks, this is not a one-time wipe your hands and get out game. How do we do this? Is God, is God asking too much of us? Is that the case? Friends, we cannot, we cannot spread God's kingdom on spare time and spare change. We cannot reach Ireland or New Philly by hoping to randomly run into people here and there whenever we're out, if we even get out. Churches tried this, and it didn't work. We're losing. If you haven't noticed, the world is crumbling around us, and we're looking to politicians to save us. The church has failed. It's here I want to take us to the ultimate properly placed witness in Acts chapter 8. I'm simply going to read the first two verses. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way which, thou go, which goest down from Jerusalem, which is the desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. We know the story of Philip, right? However, a lot of times we don't know the background of Philip. Philip was a, a deacon in the church in Samaria. Acts chapter 6 tells us a little bit more about this. I just quickly want to read the verses here. Verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye may appoint over this business. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. We all know Stephen. And Philip. And five other guys. So we're introduced to Philip, right? By Dr. Luke. And we see the church looking for some very specific qualities in these men. Number one. Filled with the Holy Ghost. A right relationship with God. That foundational relationship. Number two, he, full of wisdom. He was smart about his personal evangelism. He was smart about how he did things. Number, two, or number three, he was of honest report. That would be a right relationship with man. You may love the word of God and know it back to front. However... If you don't have a good reputation and you cannot get along with anyone that don't share your views, you will struggle to be an effective, consistent evangelist, friends. This was a spiritual profile of our man. This was our dude. This is what he did. He's asked to get up from Samaria. Right? The church is is thriving here. The word of God is increasing. He's asked to get up and to leave this thriving ministry. To leave the fun, safe, loving environment of the body of believers and wade into the uncomfortable, scary, treacherous waters of personal one-on-one evangelism. And yes, friends, personal evangelism can get scary. Like, real scary. Whether it's speaking to an Irishman or speaking to an American, you better, guys, you better get your armor on, by the way. You better get ready. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he's told to leave that comfortable dwelling for one lost soul. You see how anti-Laodicean this is? Build church programs, attendance, offerings. Yet God's, God's heart is put on display as he, through his properly positioned witness, leaves that 99 for the one. He was going to reap, Philip was going to reap no physical gain for this. You realize this, right? The Ethiopian wasn't coming back and joining his church. There was no tangible blessing. Yet, still, he was led of the Spirit. So he left his thriving ministry so that he could go where God wanted him. At the right place, at the right time, with the right person. If Philip had been just a tiny bit distracted, just, man, throwing his plans in there. i got to stop off for a coffee before I get there, right? 
If he would have gotten out of the way, changed routes, he would have missed his chance. He had to run to catch the chariot. The execution of this famous evangelistic template would have utterly failed if Philip had not been at the right place at the right time. Friends, we must see Philip is successful because he was properly positioned spiritually. He had the right spirit. Most of the time, our churches are characterized by being in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. And who cares in the final analysis if even we adopt biblical methods, if we are not led of the spirit in what we are doing? And you can be assured, friends, as you seek to follow the Lord's command and his spirit guiding you to go into all the world, if you take what we're starting to talk about and you put this into practice, be assured of a couple things. Number one, if you pay attention just a little bit, you will see God has strategically placed people in your life and community who are just waiting. They're just waiting for somebody. They need someone. Friends, they need you. God has them out there. They're waiting for you. Number two, though, Satan has strategically placed people who are working with the people that you run into, trying to get them to not listen. The point is this, war is raging over who will command the respect and confidence of this lost world and who will have influence over them. You've ignored them for years. You're annoyed and irritated by anything that rubs you the wrong way. Those classmates, right? Those coworkers, members of your gym. Friends, at the same time you've been ignoring them, Satan has been strategically placing people in their lives for years. If you think Satan has no vested interest in befriending this world, you're absolutely blind. What if Philip had said no? What if his heart wasn't properly positioned? What if he wasn't in the spirit? This man would have met somebody else. He wouldn't have gotten his questions answered. And who knows what Satan would have done? Okay. Who in your life have you passed by? How many times have you told God no? Who have you missed an opportunity with because you were not where you were supposed to be spiritually, and therefore you were not where you were supposed to be physically? Because Philip had a right relationship with God and therefore he was therefore properly positioned spiritually, he could be led of the Spirit without questioning his destination or outcome. Do you see what it all revolves around? The Spirit of God moving and working and directing in your life. And if you don't have that relationship with God, you cannot expect him to lead you physically. Look at verse 8. Look at chapter 8 and verse 26. And I'll I'll close with this. Some very simple commands. Some very simple things Philip, Philip had to do. Chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Arise. Stand up and go. Okay. Get up. Walk out into this world. Talk to a lost person. Friends, have you done that? Have you done that? Right? Arise and go. Verse 27, and he arose and went. God said up and go, and he got up and went. And behold, guess what happens? You follow after what God says, He's going to work. Behold, a man of Ethiopia approached him. He found a lost person. I was a leader in the church. However, God has asked me to go and do something else. So he did. Kale did lead the youth group. God asked him to go to Hungary. He got up and he's going. Matt is getting up. He's going to Columbus. 
But these men would never have been where they're supposed to be physically if spiritually they were not prepared. Acts 8 and verse 29. Then the Spirit said. Then is a time reference, right? To when he had arisen and when he had gone and obeyed. Then God said, go near and join thyself to this chariot. So how can I make personal personal relationships a part of my life? How can I evangelize? How can I lead lost people to Christ? How are you going to start a church over in Ireland, big man? Okay, let me give you our secret formula for Ireland. We're going to go to where lost people are. Ireland has a lot of lost people. 89% Catholic, 4.9 million people. That's 4.3 million Catholics in blindness. Go to, lo- go to where lost people are. Find them. That means don't sit in your house all day. Don't go home after work every single day. Don't ignore the people that annoy you. Approach them and talk to them. I can do that. You can do that. Right? It's not that hard, friends. We've been complicating it for centuries at the expense of this world. You realize that unsaved men and women are committed to the proposition of dedicating their entire lives and existence to putting a ball in a hoop, running in circles, throwing an object. They're not lucky. They're not simply just randomly always in just the right spot at just the right time. Those that are truly great are obsessed with Improving their skills. And can I ask you a question? I'll close. What are you obsessed with? Your phones? That Netflix series? The couch? You spend more time binging Netflix shows than you do making friends? We're all obsessed with something. What if instead of being addicted to our phones and slaves to possessions, we chose our obsession to be developing our skill of being in the right place at the right time with the right person that we have committed to developing relationships with? How different would would First Baptist in New Philly be if you, not your neighbor, not your wife, not your, you, how different would your church look if you became obsessed with leading souls to Christ? And developing that skill. Man, I am again stoked out of my mind to see what God is going to do with four absolutely sold out Christians obsessed with winning Ireland for Christ. I'm excited to see what New Philly will look like as you become obsessed with making personal relationships. Building that skill of being in the right place, at the right time, with the right person, and the right spirit. Let's close in prayer.